Masechet Gitin, Daf, Lamed, Vav. We saw the Mishnah that recorded three takanot that various rabbis made. Uh, the second one that we're going to see today is about that witnesses have to sign the get. Uh, the third one was Hillel's famous Piroz Bol. Uh, well, we're just going to finish off with the first one, which was is that an almana, although uh, if she wants to collect her ketubah from Yetomim, from the letter of the law, she has to make a shivuah, like anyone who wants to collect money from Yetomim. But the rabbis' uh, courts would not impose a vow on an almana because they were afraid maybe she collected part, part of it. And then she would be lying and making a shivu'ah that is false, which is a terrible thing. And so at that point, she was not able to collect her ketuvah. And so Rabban Gamaliel came and said, all right, she doesn't have to make a shivu'ah. Instead, she can make a neder. And a neder is less severe, so we're not less worried about her saying something false. Um, and it's sufficient that it will be a, con- a confirmation that she did not receive anything so that we won't, uh, we don't have to worry that she's taking something from the orphans that doesn't belong to her. Okay, so uh, within that discussion, uh, we mentioned uh, when, when one makes a neder, and uh, then you can go always go to a chacham and undo the neder, and so we're worried about that. And so within that discussion, we um, wondered, uh, we're wondering now, if someone, in general, the alman or anyone, goes to a chacham in order to uh, undo his neder, does he have to detail exactly what the neder is, or can one do like we do today with hatarat nedarim? You just say, all nedarim that I made all year, right, are uh, we regret, and then the betin says, okay, mutarim lachem, uh, mutarim lachem. Um, so, or do you have to actually specify each one? Uh, funny story, one time we did Hatarat Nedarim, and then uh, one woman came late after we were all done. And so uh, the, the main rabbi uh, said, she asked, so oh, can you do Hatarat again for us? And so the main rabbi said, okay, fine. And then he said, oh, well, since you're alone, you should tell us the details, because that's really the right way. And uh, well, she didn't want to reveal the details of her neder, so I'm sure that the next year she made sure to come on time, so she wouldn't have to be put through that. All right. So, do you have to uh, uh, detail the um, the the neder, or can you say in general, I made a neder that I regret? Rav Nachman says you don't have to. Rav Papa says one must. Rav Nachman Amar Eno Sarich Di Amar Sarich Zimnim Degaiz Leledibure Vechacham Mai Deshama Mefer. Rav Nachman says one does not have to because it can actually lead to a problem. Uh, sometimes if someone makes a neder, let's say it has a, you know three parts of his neder. And when they go to the Chacham, they're going to shorten it and mention only two of the parts, right? They want to, you know, uh, um, uh, they want to uh, cut short and uh, not not give all the details because maybe one maybe one of the details is something negative or whatever. And then the Chacham will say, okay, that's the Ned. And he will say, Mutarim Lachem, um, knowing only two out of the details, but then the person will go away and, and think, oh, I had all, all my entire Ned was dissolved, and then we'll go ahead um, uh, thinking that the neder is dissolved, even though it's not fully dissolved because the person that made the neder didn't even reveal everything to the uh, to the sage. Therefore, it's better to be say a generality. I made a neder, and I'm not gonna. I don't have to uh, say all the details. And that way, the chacham will just say, okay, the whole thing is mutarim lachem. Um, without knowing the details, is actually better. However, said, no, you have to tell the Chacham the details because 
perhaps he, they, then undoing the neder will violate a prohibition. For example, in this case, if a woman um, uh, did in fact take money, she, she got some of the uh, partial payment of her kitubah from the husband uh, before he died, and then he dies, and then she makes a neder, and she knows, okay, I'll make the neder, collect the whole thing um, in the court, and then I'll go to a different chacham, and I'll undo the neder. And so this would be a problem. This is prohibited. And so you have to tell the chacham what it is that way. Right? If she tells him this story, the chacham will say, wait, I'm not going to undo that neder. You made a, you made a neder, and you're going to collect, uh, collect based on it uh, uh, falsely, so you don't deserve for this neder to be undone. Um, and therefore... Uh, one should, uh, one, uh, one must uh, detail the nadarim so the chacham knows whether this is honest and proper to dissolve it. Okay, so that's the two, um, that's the two opinions. And so now we're going to challenge tenan hanose nashim ba'avera pasul ad sheidor hanaa betaneala noder ve'ober yored umegaresh. The Mishnah in Bechorot says that if uh, someone, a Kohen, marries someone that he's not permitted to marry. So while he's married to that person, uh, let's say Kohen to Gerusha, he's not allowed to serve in the Bet HaMikdash. However, if he make, wants to make Teshuvah, so he'll come in the morning and he says, listen, I made Teshuvah, I want to make Teshuvah. And so here's what he can do. Uh, he cannot serve until he makes a vow that he will not get any benefit from his wife that's prohibited to him. And we learned about that, that he doesn't have to go and divorce his wife first and only then uh, serve in the Bet HaMikdash. Let's say he wants to serve immediately on that day, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce her later on when I get a chance. So that's permitted. He can make a neder. I will have no, uh, no uh, uh, benefit from my wife, so that, that way they won't be able to be together. And then he can oved, he can go and do avodah that day. And then at the end of the day, he steps down, he leaves the Bet HaMikdash, and then he'll give his wife a get. So you can do that. Um, he, can, uh, he can make a neder and serve even before the actual get. Now, that's the source. Here's the question. If you say that you don't have to uh, uh, specify the details, that was Rav Nachman's opinion, then we should worry that, you know what he's going to do? This uh, wise guy, Kohen, he's going to make a neder, I won't benefit from my wife. He will serve in the Bet HaMikdash all day. Then afterwards, he'll go to a chacham. He doesn't have to, if he doesn't have to specify, so I, made a, I made a neder, um, the, uh, and uh, he undoes it, and then he's totally fine, and then he can go back uh, uh, back and be with his wife. Uh, so this is a proof that for it of papa, that one should have to make a detail the neder. And so the answer is, No, the, we, make the, we administer the vow in public, um, because if you do it in public, then you cannot undo it. Good. Now this answer will make sense. Actually, that this was the opinion of Rav Nachman on the previous staff, uh, who says that neder uh, that may was made in public, you cannot you you cannot dissolve it. And so that's why. So we were not worried. We're going to make he's going to make it in public, and therefore he can't dissolve it. But But there was another opinion that says even something that's made in public can be dissolved. Then we have to worry that this guy's going to go serve, and then he'll undo his vow and remain with his wife, who's pro- prohibited to him. 
So the answer is, with the consent of the public. This is different, this is different from which just means in front of the public. This is with the consent. So this would be done, uh, there's different opinions about how, what exactly this means. Uh, so Rabim would be either three people or ten people. Um, and al-dat would be further that the, uh, the, the kahal or representative of, of them says that we impose this vow on you and then he has to be okay with it. So he's taking it upon himself with having in mind that this is with the conditional uh, understanding and agreement of the entire public. It's not just that it's in public, it's with uh, it's based on the agreement of the public, and therefore, if he wanted to undo it, he would have to get the whole public to agree to undo it. Right? It becomes from going from something personal to dependent on the public opinion, and so therefore, he would not be able to undo it. Amemar said that the halacha is even according to the opinion that says that a vow taken in public you can dissolve, but if it's based on the consent of the public, then it cannot be dissolved. So uh, but before someone who, who goes, goes ahead and serves, someone who's married to someone who's not allowed to be, uh, uh, serves as a Kohen, we will not only make him uh, make the, take this neder, we'll make him do it al da'at rabim, and that way he won't be able to undo it. Good. But we add even this type of neded al dat rabim. The only time we say that you can't undo it if it's an optional act, something that you can do or you don't have to do. Um, but if it's for a mitzvah, then you then there then you then you can uh, uh, do uh, dissolve even that type of vow. We see an example like this. There was a certain teacher, school teacher, um, and he was pasha biyanuke. He was hitting the kids too much, and so Rav Acha um, uh, um, made a made a neder that prohibited. Uh, forbade him from teaching ever again, right? He didn't kiss too much. You can't be a teacher anymore. Um, so kicked him out of the profession. But then, Avina later on, uh, brought him back. He dissolved this neder, even though it was a neder al-da'at rabim, because he could not find a teacher that was as midayek, as meticulous as he was. I guess you know, the good comes with the bad is precisely because he was so strict um, that he was able to get the kids to read so carefully. Um, and so Ravina, maybe hopefully he learned his lesson and uh, and uh, didn't hit the kids anymore. Um, but anyway, Ravina was able to undo it because this was not just a matter of the shoot of, okay, he feels like doing it or something you feel like doing or not. This was a mitzvah. This was something that really the public needed. He needed to teach the kids and there was no one else to teach them. And so in that case, since it was, it is al-da'at rabim, and this is a need, a public need for the whole community. So then Ravina, on behalf of the community, says, listen, you know, we, we actually need you, so we are going to uh, dissolve that vow that Ravacha had placed upon you. Okay, good. Now, ve'adim chotmin alaget mipinetikun haolam. The Mishnah mentioned the second, uh, uh, second takana, uh, seemingly also by Rabban Gamliel, that witnesses should sign the get. It's not sufficient for the witnesses to, de, to wa- see the delivery of the get. They actually have to sign it as well. So we ask, mipinetikun haolam, teoraitahu, tichtiv, v'chatom, basefer, v'chatom. Why are you saying this is a rabbinic enactment, as isn't it actually in the Torah, 
Um, well, it's not not Torah, but in Yirmiya, because um, uh, Yirmiya, when he has to sign a document of sale, this is when they're, they're he's predicting, he himself is predicting, Hashem is predicting that um, they're going to be kicked out of the land, and yet Yirmiya is told to go and buy some land and uh, keep the deed of sale in a clay jar for a long time because this is a promise that they're going to come back, and so when they come back, he'll have this deed. Anyway, in that pasuka says, write it down and sign it. So that means uh, that you have to sign legal documents. So isn't that a, um, a basic law? It's, uh, I mean, Yirmiya was, it's, it's not a pasuk from the Torah, but Yirmiya was doing it. We assume that he was doing it because it's a basic uh, Torah law. So it's certainly before a takana uh, uh, of Rabban Gamliel. So we answer, You're right. According to Rabbi Meir, um, and other sages, yes, you have to sign it. That's a basic law of all documents, including a get. But um, here we're talking about the opinion, according to the opinion of Rabbi Al-Azhar. Uh, following the opinion of Rabbi Al-Azhar, who says that the primary witnesses that are needed to effectuate a divorce are the ones that watch the husband giving it to the wife. So um, you need them uh, to actually make the divorce effective. Uh, so it was according, according to that opinion, that according to Rabbi Al-Azhar, they don't have to sign it at all. It's according to him that the rabbis uh, made a takana. Rabbi Gamaliel is actually before Rabbi Al-Azhar, but the point is Rabbi Al-Azhar is representing a, uh, a view that was around before. And so according to that view, they, uh, Rabbi Gamaliel said, you know what, from now on, we have to, or, we have to uh, uh, allow the witnesses to sign and this is You could also say here that this takana was actually not Rabban Gamliel. It doesn't say who it is in the, in the Mishnah. I'm just assuming that since the previous one was Rabban Gamliel, this one should be too. But it could be that this one actually maybe was from a later time, maybe after the Biel Azar. Okay, either way, uh, how does this help? Because sometimes the witnesses that see the delivery, they may die after some time, or they may go overseas on a trip and you can't find them anymore. And then if the get is challenged, or at the time that she wants to get remarried, they're going to say, okay, what is this get, right? The husband may come and challenge it, says, I didn't give you that get. Um, and now the witnesses that saw it being given are not available. Uh, so this will cause her a problem. She won't be able to get remarried or someone will come and claim that she's uh, violating Eshet Ish. So therefore, even according to Rabbi Al-Azhar, you, you can effectuate a get just by the Edem Esira. It's not a good idea. You want to have someone sign it so that if ever in the future uh, someone should come and challenge it, you can always find, you can always validate the signatures. See, you don't need the original witnesses to validate the signatures. All you have to do is find someone who knows them or compare their signatures with something else that um, they sign that is already validated. And so that is, that would be a big help. Good. Rav Yosef Amar, Afilu Tema Lerbi Meir, Hitkin Adim Mefarshin Shemotem Begitin Mepinet Ikun HaOlam. Rav Yosef says, actually, you could say this Takana was necessary even according to the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who requires the whole time, Ede Hatima Kate, they do have to sign. Um, but the, uh, the, uh, the takana is instead that they have to specify their full name on the get. And this is a help. And here we have a braita that explains it. But 
אם כתב ידו יוסף במקום אחר כשר, ואם לאו פסול. Originally, some of the witnesses would write, not write a full name. He would just write, אני, if his name is ראובן, אני ראובן, חתמתי עד. Okay, but ראובן, how many people are named ראובן, right? There's a lot, a lot of people. We don't, who, which ראובן is this? And so, how would they ratify it? Well, if they could find another document that was the same uh, signature, same handwriting, uh, then they could ratify it. But if not, Maybe it's not uh, such a famous person who didn't sign so many things, and they won't be able to, to find that, uh, a match for his signature, then it'll be a problem. They won't be able to ratify it. And so, And here it is, this one actually is Rabban Gamliel. So this supports what we said earlier, that in the Mishnah, although it's anonymous, it probably is also Rabban Gamliel. And uh, so Rabban Gamliel said, uh, made a, uh, a great enactment that they should ma- mention the name, the full name, right? Reuven Ben David um, is the Ayad, and that way they'll know who it is. I mean, there could be a few people with that name, but few, much, much fewer. And so you'll be able to track them down. You know, was it this one? Was it that one? And that way you'll be more, e- uh, uh, be, uh, more easily ratified. And that, again, that will help uh, women if, to uh, uh, ratify their gitin in case uh, they are ever challenged. All right, now we ask, what if the, 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 uh, the witness wants to sign simply with a picture, with a mark, instead of a name? Uh, because various sages did exactly that. Rav would draw a fish uh, symbol instead of a signature. Rav drew a palm branch. Rav Semech. Uh, Rav Chista would draw a, a, a Samech, some kind of a, maybe a support or the, or the letter. Samech, he has a Samech in his name. Rav Hosha Aya Ayin, because he has an Ayin in his name. Uh, maybe so he drew the letter Ayin, um, or maybe an actual I. Uh, the uh, letter Ayin actually did in Kitav Ivri look like an I. Rav Huna Sayer Makota. Rav Huna would uh, draw a sail, a ship, a ship sail. Maybe he liked sailing. Shane, uh, uh, so all these, all these sages, they, their signature was a symbol. And so what about that? Because the symbol, you can't really read the person's name, certainly not the name of the father, but the people know that this is, uh, this is a signature of these people. So what about that? Is that permitted? Uh, or after the Takana, would you say that they can't use this, the, these uh, signs anymore? And the answer is they can. These uh, sages say are, different, are, are, are different than anybody else because... Um, everybody knows that, the, that this is their mark. All right? These are famous people. Uh, everybody would come to them. They were uh, judges, and so they would be signing many things, writing many letters and signing them. And so since it was well known, if you see a uh, fish, you know, oh, that's Rav for sure. Um, that's different from common people uh, who aren't so famous and their signatures aren't so famous, so then they have to write their full name and the name of their father so that they can be identified. Okay. So now just a question of chicken and egg here. Well, you said that their marks are famous. Yeah, but how did they become famous? Because how did they, um, right? How did they uh, first uh, sign their first, the first time that I've used his fish, his fish sign, right? Then it wouldn't be good because when he first used it, nobody knows it yet. He first has to introduce it. So how did they first publicize it? The answer is in letters, common letters that they would send. And not, not legal documents. And since they're sending a lot of letters and everybody then would know, oh, the fish, uh, that's from Rav, then once it became publicized that this is his trademark, uh, um, symbol, then after that, these uh, rabbis could use these signs as their, uh, signatures even on legal documents.
And now we come to the third Takana in the Mishnah, Hilel Hitkin Peros Bol Bechule Tenan Hatam. So over here in this Mishnah, it just uh, says a quick summary that Hitkin, uh, Hilel made a Peros Bol, but it doesn't explain what it is, and so we quote a Mishnah in Masechet Shivirit that elaborates. Um, uh, Peros uh, Tenan Hatam. Peros Bol Eno Meshamet. If one uh, writes a Peros Bol and uses this legal mechanism, then the seventh year, the end of the seventh year, will not cancel one's debts and he can continue to uh, uh, to collect it afterwards. And this is one of the enactments of Hillel HaZaken. Because Hillel saw that the people were uh, not uh, uh, not lending to one another uh, in the in the time the short time before the seventh year because they know if I lend you now then in a few months or in a year or whatever uh, then the uh, the uh, uh, shemitah is going to come around and at the end of the seventh year will be cancelled so then they wouldn't lend in the first place and the Torah specifically said be careful do not even think about this terrible thing and say since the, the seventh year is coming I'm going to be stingy and not give my brother and so people were actually violating this and so better that they should um, lend and uh, and be able to collect um, and th- rather than violate this law so this is a, in this sense it's protecting the lenders so that they don't violate this law of not lending it would also help the poor people because uh, since the lenders weren't giving any money now the poor people had no way to receive money this is a problem this might be a loan either just for food or short term or might be a loan to uh, someone that uh, needs some capital uh, to for their business right whatever it is um, they, they they need this loan to continue and this will ensure the flow of capital especially to these poor people so it helps both sides the Torah had a high level that uh, was a uh, uh, of, of ethics that people could not follow and so this is a compromise uh, law uh, it could be that uh, you know at times uh, ec- economies also change and it could be that um, uh, for uh, at the in times of the Torah then really loans would only be for, be for poor people uh, but maybe as economies change and sometimes loans are actually even for people that have wealth um, but they just need some liquid um, amounts and so Pidoz uh, would be appropriate in cases like that Okay, so anyway, uh, Hillel came and made this Pudos Bol, so people would be able to make a loan before Shemitah and have it continue and collect it after the Shemitah. Now, what is the actual mechanism? Literally, the word, uh, it's a Greek word, Bol, because Bule means an assembly, official assembly, government uh, group, or a court. And pros means before, so it means before the court. And the way it works is that the lender will come and say, I am uh, handing you, transferring to you the judges, name the judges in this place and name the place, that all the loans that I have uh, outstanding uh, from this person, that you will, you the court, will uh, uh, collect it um, uh, any time that I want. You will collect it on my behalf. 
and the judges will sign it or the witnesses can sign it. Now, what, how, how does this actually work? Is Elal just making a, a, a loophole, just like breaking the law and, um, you know, making up something so that he can make a, a, a loophole around this deoraita? Okay, we're going to see in a second that the Gemara is going to answer that it's only the Rabbanan problem. But actually, there is a, a legal mechanism here. The way it works is that uh, when one makes a loan, if there is land, and Talmud elsewhere is going to uh, say that um, there needs to be land, the borrower has to own land. Um, so if there is land um, in, uh, in a loan, and it's a written loan, then the lender actually has a mortgage, has a lien on the land. So in, in a way, he actually already has access to that, uh, to that land should the borrower default. The lender could go go ahead and get his and get and take the land. Now he can't take the land yet before before it's due. However, here's what happens: by giving it to the court, right? He's registering the mortgage at, in the in the courthouse. Like today, when you take a mortgage, um, it will be registered in uh, by by the city, so that if you try, go ahead and try to sell your uh, your home. Uh, then someone will go and check that registry and say, wait, you can't sell it because you have a mortgage on it. So basically, you're registering the mortgage uh, with the city, with the official court, uh, which publicizes it. And in that way, you're actually uh, um, kind of uh, saying that the the court will uh, collect it on your behalf, uh, so should uh, should the uh, should the borrower default, um, that way the land is already registered and in some sense is already transferred to you, kind of like you have uh, a, a somewhat of an ownership or already in a way already started collecting it. And so therefore, since it's in some way already yours, that's permitted, right? The Shemitah is only that the you cannot collect it, but if the court is collecting it, so they would have to go and collect it um, on your behalf, right? Or you already have, actually have the payment in some form, uh, in the form of a lien on the, on the land. Um, so that's actually the legal mechanism, right? It's not just a complete loophole. It is using a, um, a, a legal method uh, to, to make it that it's not, no longer a, um, a loan that's just now being paid um, out of the blue after the Shemitah. Okay, so with that in mind, we ask, How could this be that from the Torah level, Torah says that the loan has to be canceled, and Hillel can come and make some enactment and go against the Torah law, um, I mean, both in, both in law and in spirit, right? How could he do this? Um, you know, even if we can explain the legal mechanism, still it's, uh, it is uh, somewhat of a leniency, a loophole um, that you're relying on this. And, you know, what about the spirit of the law? Um, so, Abaye explains, actually, Hillel is doing this only for Shiviit nowadays. Um, and at this time, according to the B, as we're about to see, uh, the laws, laws of Shemitah only apply midrabanan. And so, therefore, Hillel's takana is only going against a drabanan, not against a deoraita. I should add, just based on what we said uh, a minute ago, um, that the borrower needs to have land in order for the Pidot's bowl to work, right? because there has to be a lien on the land. That is interesting, because it would mean that the Pidot's bowl will only be effective if the borrower is a landowner. Right? So if that means if he's completely poor and down and out, he has no land, then Pidot's bowl will not work, and uh, the, uh, any loan that he has will be canceled. And so the mechanism of the Pidot's bowl actually, do, actually ensures that um, if it's a landowner, then probably the loan is a business loan. He uh, needs some uh, seeds to uh, plant because uh, he, he ran out. 
He had a bad year, so he needs some seeds to plant. So this is capital for his business. If he can uh, plant them and then grow, so since that's a business loan, maybe uh, then it's not against the spirit of the law for um, for him to have to pay it back. Okay, um, so there's a lot, lot to a lot to say here. All right. Anyway, let's see what the B says. How, uh, that, how does he prove that shemitah nowadays is only midrabanan de tanya? The B Omer zehu debara shemitah shamot v'shte shemitot ha'katub midaber. Pasuk says shemitah shamot. It says the word twice. Uh, why? It's talking about both uh, the Shemitah of Karka, that you can't work the land, and Shemitah Kesafim, that you can't collect loans. And put it by, by each word, uh, referring to one and the other, and putting them back to back, so we're comparing the, the, the application of both. So when the laws of not working the land apply, then that's when the laws of canceling loans also apply. But when not work, work, not working land does not apply, then uh, the land, the law of uh, canceling money also does not apply. And nowadays, shivit of the land is only uh, is not does not apply deoraita mideoraita, and therefore. The law of canceling loans also does not apply midoraita. But then the rabbis came and said, you know what, we're going to have a, a shivit law um, so that we, we remember it. And this is for Shemitat Karka, right? Like today, uh, we still observe the laws of Shemitah in Eretz Yisrael. And we do so midrabanan because we don't want to forget about the law. It's going to be, you know, how long? 2,000 years before you come back. And uh, then if you never did shivit, you'll forget about the law altogether. And also with Shemitat Kesafim, the rabbi said, yes, we're going to cancel the loans midrabanan to remember that this law exists. But then after uh, the sages made this then after that Hillel saw that the people are not lending to one another because on a Drabanan level the, their loans will be cancelled, they won't be able to collect and they weren't, they weren't lending out and the poor people weren't getting uh, money and so uh, that's when Hillel made a takana of Pedos Bol uh, that if you do this, um, if you if you sign this document, then uh, you can be will be able to collect. But he, this takana is only going against a drabanan, not against a deoraita. So he can he has the, uh, that authority. Okay, hold on. Now we have a question on that first takana that the rabbis made. They said, okay, the Shemitah does not apply deoraita nowadays. Um, now you have something that doesn't apply midoraita, but the rabbis then may have, have the right to make a takana that it will cancel loans. That is also a go, going against the uh, 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 fundamental law, because here I lent you money in the sixth year. Now midrabanan, they say I can't collect it. But how, what, what, what gives the right the rabbis to say that on the doraita level you owe me money, so I should be able to go and collect my money? Right? How can the rabbis say, no, you can't go collect the money? How could they just cancel a debt that on the Doraita level exists? Okay, we have two answers. This is um, only passive. The rabbis have a right uh, to uh, override a Doraita law if one is being passive. Just don't do it. They could say, listen, even though me Doraita you have to blow shofar on the first day of uh, Rosh Hashanah, but if it's Shabbat, don't. The rabbis say don't. 
because you're just sitting, you're not, and not doing it. Sheva al What the rabbis cannot do is say, oh, listen, we want you to go ahead and, uh, and, uh, uh steal or violate Shabbat and do some, an act. And that they don't have the power to do, but they can be, tell you to be passive. And here, they're telling the lender, be passive, do not go and collect. And they tell the other guy, you don't have to go and, uh, and pay it back. And so, yes, they are violating a doraita status of this loan, but only by telling the parties that you uh, just say, sit home and don't collect the loan. That's one answer. Rava says the mechanism that the courts have the right to declare properly, property ownerless. And therefore, even though you have my money, they could say, oh, that money, what, it belongs to you, the lender? We declare it ownerless, and now the borrower can take it for himself. And, uh, that's, and therefore, I don't have a right to collect it anymore. Um, so that's, it works by the power of the court over a monetary, or any monetary situation. And what's, the, what's our source? That Betin can declare any, any, anyone's property ownerless. It wants to tell the people they have to big announcement, they have to separate from their wives and all that. And so he says everybody has to come within three days. Um, and if you don't come, then all your property will be forfeited. Um, and uh, uh, so you see that Ezra has a right to impose this fine or basically appropriate, appropriate uh, people's um, uh, property um, if they don't do what he says. And so since Ezra has that power as, as, uh, as the head, as the uh, court, uh, so too any court um, has that power to do. So, or another derivation of Hafkeh Betin is from Rabbi Al-Azari, says it's from Pasuk in Yoshua, that this is El Azar Hakohen and Yeshua Binun. They decided the inheritances of each of the various uh, tribes and uh, clans um, when they, they divided the land. And so, what do we learn from that? Well, it says Rashi Ha'avot. Um, what does it mean, Rashim and Avot? Are these heads? Are these fathers? Why call them Rashi Ha'avot? Just call them, I don't know, Nisi'im. Uh, so, to teach you that they're the same as fathers. Just like father, a father can decide his, in his inheritance, I want this son to get this much and that son to get that other field, and whatever they want to do. So too, these heads um, uh, were, uh, were had the authority to decide um, uh, what to give uh, this family and what to give that, that, that tribe. Uh, they could decide whatever they wanted. So you see, how, well, what gives them the right to go and decide, you're going to take this land, you're going to take that land? Because they're a betin. This source actually is even stronger than the previous source because the previous source just said that Ezra can take away anyone's property and just make it public. Um, whereas here it says, we can take any land uh, then and not only say, you're not going to get it, we can actually give it to this other family, this other tribe. And so they can take and give, uh, which would be good for in this case, where they could say, okay, even though on the right level this money belongs to you, the lender, we say, no, we're going to give it to the borrower. Um, and that's how they can create this dirabanan shemita, uh, and by they're not actually canceling the loans, they're actually removing the property and giving it to the borrower. 
Okay. Next question is, when Hillel made this takana, did he made it only? Did he make it only for his generation? Because he saw in his generation there's a problem that people aren't lending. Um, so he made this uh, just a temporary enactment, or did he made it make it for future generations? Now, what does it matter? In case you ever want to cancel it in the future. If he made it only for his generation, then the later generation can come and cancel it. I mean, maybe it'll continue on, on its own since he started it, and if it still applies, it'll continue. Um, but then, if a later court wants to say, you know what, it doesn't apply anymore, they can, they can stop it because he only made it temporary in the first place. But if Hillel made this enactment for all generations, then it's going to be very, very difficult for a later, a later court to undo it because we have a principle that a later betin cannot uncancel something that a previous betin did unless it's greater than it in, uh, in wisdom and in number. Well, it's going to be very hard to uh, uh, to overpass the court of Hillel. Uh, for number, um, this is a big question. How could it be number? Because the number is always 71. So you can't even, doesn't doesn't make sense. You can't even have Hassanah in more than number. So Rambam, explain, Rambam explains here that it's talking about the number of other sages that follow that betin and look at it as authoritative. So that actually could be more because the Jewish population grows and if there's more uh, adherents and sages that are following a certain betin, right, but it have to be greater in, in chokhmah also. So this base makes it almost impossible to ever undo a takana of a betin. So that would be the difference of which one it is. So now we'll see a couple of uh, attempts to figure out the answer. Tashema, Tamashimu elokat vinan peros bol, i ela i bebe dina de sura i bebe dina de nehardea. Visa kada techle dare alma nami taken bishad bedina nami lichtevu. So Shimuel said that we, you cannot write a peros bol except in the courts of uh, uh, of Suda or the court of Nehada. These were big cities that had a lot of uh, a lot of sages, learned people, and so there the courts there were high level courts. So you can only do this in a high level court. You can't just go to a local little court and write a piros bull. Okay, which makes sense because, uh, you know, if this, as we said before, you have, you're registering this mortgage officially, so it has to be done in a very official way that will have publicity and, um, you know, they're, they're doing it correctly. Now, uh, he's still here, it looks like Shemuel saying, uh, that, okay, you know what? I'm deciding only these two betedin and no other betedin. He's canceling the application of the enactment for um, cities uh, besides uh, Surah and Harda for smaller cities. Now, if you think that Hillel made it for all generations, then um, all, all Batedin should be included. How, what, what authority would, have, would Shemuel have to cancel the application of Pirozbol in other Batedin? Therefore, it must be that Hillel did it only temporarily, right? Well, not necessarily. No, maybe Hillel, when he first made the Takana, he made it for generations, but only in a Betin, like his own Betin, one that is, uh, has a high status, like the Betin of Rav Ameh or Rav Aseh, because only these have the power to 
do hefker, right? Not any three people can come and just say, okay, your house is not yours anymore. You need a recognized betin uh, in order to do this. So uh, this was actually the enactment all the way from the beginning, is that only serious betedin can do it. And Shemuel was just defining for his generation, listen, these are the, in, in Bavel, these are the betedin that um, are well recognized and not other ones. So it actually is uh, also a continuation of the of Hillel's Takana. Okay, now uh, yet another proof. Tashema Dama Shemuel Ha Pirosbula Ulbena de Dayane Hu I Ayashar Hayel Abteline. Shemuel said this Pirosbul is a disgrace to the judges, and if it were up to me, I would cancel it. Okay, we're going to see in a second uh, what Shemuel means by this. How could he say that this Pudos bull is a disgrace? Uh, but anyway, it, since he says, I would cancel it, so we ask, We said that if uh, once there's a takana that a betin makes for uh, permanently, then no one can, a future betin cannot undo it unless it's greater in wisdom and number. So Shemuel, he's not greater in wisdom and number than Hillel. So how could he say, I would, uh, I would nullify it? And the answer is, He's saying, I wish, if only, my strength was greater than Hillel, I would nullify it. But I'm not greater, so I can't nullify it. So therefore, it says, we tried to bring this as a proof that the it was temporary, Hillel's uh, the enactment was temporary, but actually not necessarily. It could be actually be sound the opposite, that he wishes he could cancel it um, because he thinks it's a disgrace. Rav Nachman, Amar, Rav Nachman disagreed the opposite of Shemuel. He says, I would uh, uphold it. So we ask about him. What do you mean you would uphold it? It's already there, right? The Takana is in force. Why do you have to say, I would make it? So he explains, I would say that even if a Pidos bowl was not written, I'll consider it as if written. He's going to say, you know what? Pidos bowls across the board. Even if someone doesn't, you should. You should write out the Pidos bowl. But what if you didn't? You forgot to do it? We should consider it as if it's written. In other words, we should make this Takana and enforce it and expand it um, uh, to such that it, uh, it will be assumed that everyone writes a pitos bull and no get no no uh, um, loans will be canceled. So really, diametrically opposite views about the uh, the, the the power and uh, the significance of a pitos bull, right? Ram uh, Nachman saying this is a good thing. We want to keep uh, keep loans uh, going. We want to keep the economy going. We want uh, poor people to get money. We want people to be lending out. And so this is the best thing that ever happened. So we should only strengthen it. Okay, now let's analyze Shemuel. Why not? When Shemuel says this is a disgrace, is he saying like chutzpah, insolence? In that sense, it would be because Shemuel basically is saying this uh, goes against the Torah, goes against the letter of the law, goes against the spirit of the law. And this is, you know, a very difficult thing that Hillel did. And okay, Hillel saw there was a need for it. But, you know, this is a disgrace that now not only are people not, not paying back, the judges, the important courts, have to now play a role and help people violate the law and spirit of the Torah. I mean, yes, it's a loophole. We found some legal way. In some cases, it's okay, right? But all these are uh, rationalizations, and really, 
it's an affront to the to the judges. Um, so that's one. That's the chutzpah one. Or is it saying the in terms of it's it's just laziness on part of the uh, it shows laziness by the judges because really. Um, if someone would actually bring all their deeds and and submit it to the court and say, here, you collect it for me, then that would be fine. And you don't need uh, any takana to do that. Um, and that would be a real way of doing it. What the, the, uh, the loophole of the pitos ball is, uh, is by making it as if I just sign this document or say in front of the court, I submit to you everything, all my, all my loans, even though they're all back home in my safe. Um, so it's as if I gave it to the to the to the uh, court. Um, so that was Shemuel's problem, according to this opinion, Nichuta, that I would cancel it because it makes the judges look lazy. Uh, judges should say, "Yeah, we're going to go around and make sure that we have every submit every document, and then it's okay." It'll be like uh, selling uh, chametz on Pesach, right? If someone's against it, maybe they're against it uh, not because it's a loophole, but because we're not actually giving the chametz to the non-Jew. We're just making this kind of we're signing this. It's as if I'm giving it to you. You're renting out the closet. Um, so, in that sense, he's not fundamentally against the entire idea of uh, using this legal mechanism to circumvent the law and be able to collect loans, but do it the real way. Don't make it make it do it in a lazy way, and it's a, looks it makes the judges look lazy. So, is it a disgrace or something that is uh, laziness? Uh, so really, this is a language question. What does the word ulbena uh, mean? Ulbena in Aramaic, aluva in Hebrew. We have the statement from Ula, uh, who is describing the the uh, Jewish people after uh, when they do the golden calf. It says they are like a bride, aluva, a bride that is aluva, a disgraced bride because they're promiscuous right under their canopy. Matan Torah is like a wedding day, and then immediately after, they go and are un- they're unfaithful. So this sense of aluba, this is not just being laziness, this is real disgrace. So therefore, this is a proof that it's the first one, chutzpah, that the sages have to take part in overriding the letter and spirit of a Torah law. Uh, now that we mention uh, this word aluva, we're going to see uh, a little bit more discussion about that word. Amarav Mari berah debat Shemuel, Maikera Achamel bimsibo nirdi natan reho. And so Rav Mari says, I'm going to add to, to this de, this explanation here that Ula said um, uh, from this pasuk in Shira Shirim that says, while the king was at his table, meaning at the wedding banquet, the king meaning Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and we're just we're still celebrating the wedding at the banquet and my scent gave forth its fragrance meaning a bad scent is unpleasant odor right while the king is still there that B'nai Israel went and they sinned so that is uh, similar to last statement right while right while they're during the wedding uh, she was unfaithful however says, I don't agree with that interpretation of Shira Shirim no it's the opposite while the king was at his uh, at the table it says the smell went forth doesn't doesn't say the smell went bad and reeked uh, sent forth meaning is a is a symbol of uh, of love that they were still uh, Hashem still loved them um, uh, th- throughout. 
And so a dif- different understanding of that Pusuk and Shira Shirim. And one last Agada on Aluv, Tenora Banana, Nealavin, Venan Olibin, Shomim Harpatan, Vemeshibin, Osin Meheba, Usmechin Bisurin, Alehema Katub Omer, Vohavav Keseta Shemesh Bigburatom. The sages taught that someone who is insulted, but it doesn't insult back. Uh, they hear shame, but they don't respond. Someone shames them, and they say, okay, that's their problem, but I don't have to stoop to their level. I'll, uh, uh, I'll just ignore it. People that act out of love and are joyful in their suffering say, you know, this is Hashem's will um, for good, for bad, about those people, it says, um, and those that love HaKadosh Baruch Hu are like the sun that goes forth in its might because nothing could ever bother them. Um, and they take it as it comes. And uh, even if they're, they're disgraced, uh, they don't disgrace anyone in return. Baruch Adonai Amen v'Amen.